0: I was reading an article this week, um, came across on Psychology Today, and it was talking about the number of decisions we make on an average day. Now, if you had to guess, how many decisions do you think you make on an average day? Somebody throw something out. So this was really interesting. It's really incredible. Notice what the article said. It said that some sources suggest that the average person makes an eye-popping 35,000 Choices per day. I know. That's what I thought, too. 35,000. Assuming that most people spend around seven hours per day sleeping and thus blissfully choice-free, that makes roughly 2,000 decisions per hour or one every two seconds. So just give it a one, two. You just made a decision. See how quick that was? 35,000 a day. Now, that seems high to me. Now, that just may be me, but it seems pretty high. And the article went on to really kind of argue against that a little bit. But here's the idea. Just cut that number in half. That's still 17,500 choices a day, decisions a day. So the the reality is from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to bed, we're always making decisions. We're constantly making choices. And and some of those are minute, as in what kind of toothpaste we're going to buy. But some of these decisions and choices are life-changing and they change the landscape of our family and the landscape of our future. So let me ask you a question. How do you go about making major life decisions? Major life decisions? Because it's funny, I think if we went around and took a poll, we're gonna see that each of us do it just a little bit differently. How about this one? Any of you guys pro and con list kind of people? You grab a piece of paper or maybe the back of an envelope and you draw a line right down the middle, right? Pros on the left, cons on the right. And you start to stack up what's good, what's bad, what's indifferent, and then you weigh them. There's more pros than cons, so let's go. Let's do it. How about the opinion poll? Anybody opinion poll, people? Call around, ask all your friends, ask the coworkers, ask your best buddy, hey, should I do this? If I do this, how would I do this? I think that's a a really common way of going about it. How about just logic? Maybe for you, you're just a logical person and you're just taking into consideration all of the facts. And you think, I can make good, logical decisions. For some of us, it's not logic. It's just what feels good, right? Hey, this tastes good. It looks good. It sounds good. It's fast. Let's do it, right? For others, it's what feels right. Or it's whatever the open door is, right? There's an open door in my life, and I'm going to walk through it, even though I don't know who opened it. I'm still going to go through it. Or maybe you've got a magic eight ball in your backpack, and you shake it up and just kind of see... You know, and it says, try again, right, try again, try again. Or for some of us, I think if all else fails, we do the old Bible trick, right? We just kind of back and forth, and then there it is. Ooh, I don't like that one. I think for a lot of us, we go about making decisions different ways. And here's the question. Does God really care how we make decisions? Does God really care how we go about making choices in life? Does he... Does he have an opinion? We've been working our way through the book of James, and James is telling us to, how to get real with our faith. And over and over again, James is saying that, that in life, we can see what's going on, on the inside by what comes out. And so over and over again, James says, if you want to know what's going on inside your heart, you have to look at see what's coming outside in your actions, and the words you say, and the way you live. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've been really diving into this. And looking at the external to identify the internal. So, James says things like if you wanna see how strong your faith is, or if your faith is real and genuine, just look at how you live your life. Or if you wanna know what's really in your heart, just look at the words you say. Or last week, if you wanna see how your desires are impacting the way you live, just look at the quality of your relationships. And here at the end of James chapter four, James is gonna say, if you want to see who you trust, and who you think's in control in your life, then you need to look at the decisions that you make. Look with me at James chapter 4, starting in verse 13. We'll read verses 13 through 16 today. Notice what James says here. He says here in verse 13, he says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a, a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Forefront, this is the word of the Lord. Hey, Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for uh, this time that we can come together to be the church in these rooms to be the church connected online, and to sing praises to your name and open your word together. Father, we just ask, Lord, that you be with uh, the families, uh, many families in, in Forefront and in our extended family. Right now, we're just walking through really hard seasons. Father, I got the call last night from Pam Smart that her mother, Lee Dunbar, has uh, been taken home. And so, Lord, our hearts ache for Pam and for Rick and the entire family but we know that Coralie is now with you and with you in heaven and in paradise and in the most amazing, beautiful, incredible place. But that still doesn't stop the hurt that Pam and Rick and their family feel and that, that we feel as Coralie has been part of this church family for so long. So give them comfort and give them peace, Lord, during these difficult days. Father, we pray for Annie Mooney, uh, who is in the hospital, went in for surgery and is, uh, is, is struggling, uh, gaining back to full strength. I just pray that you be with Annie, Lord, and you give her strength and help her body to heal and give her family encouragement. As Annie is such an amazing person, and this is a rock, that rock for that family. Father, we pray for uh, Rhonda Wharton, and we look out today and we see Mike here. We're so uh, glad to have Mike with us. We pray for Rhonda, Lord, and for encouragement for her, Lord, that her body heals, The doctors are able to give her a great plan of care so she can get back out and do the things that she enjoys doing. Father, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for what today symbolizes, that we can be free in this nation, Lord, that we can celebrate the fact that every day we wake up and we can be free, free to pursue you free to be the people you've called us to be and so Lord help us to not forget that and that you've placed us here in this country Lord to be the light of Jesus and to shine the light to our neighbors across the street and down the road and across the world and so we thank you for that Lord Lord open our hearts today to your words about decisions and how we can see our heart reflected in the decisions that we make so Lord speak to us today and I pray that we leave today looking more like Jesus than when we came it's in Jesus holy name we pray and all God's people said Amen. Amen. Back in, uh, back before I went into full-time ministry, I shared with you guys that I spent 13 years as an HR director. And one of the questions I used to love to ask people in HR, I'm sure many of you have been asked this question is, what's your five-year plan? You know, you, you sit across the interview table and you say, where do you want to be in five years? I like we've probably all been asked that question. And I like that question because it gives me a glimpse into really your, your vision for your life. But if you ever ask that question to yourself, what's my five-year plan? What's my 10-year plan? What's my 15-year plan? Now, I think we all have good canned answers to that. Well, I want to be a part of a a growing organization. I want to be in a career I love. I want to be able to plan for retirement. But what about personally? What's your five-year plan for you? And and when you answer that question, what's the first letter of that sentence? See, I think a lot of times if I had to say, hey, tell me what, the next five years look like for you? What's your desire? Where do you want to be? The first letter of that sentence is going to start with an I. I want to be in a great relationship. I want to be financially secure. I want to be in a place where I can spend time with my family or my kids or my grandkids. I want to be able to retire to that, that cabin and evergreen and be able to hike three sisters every single day. It's all I. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things, but the question is, when we start the the sentence with I, are we missing what God wants for us? See, do you ever ask that question, what does God want for me? What what does God want for me for the next five years, the next 10 years, the next 15 years of my life? Because what James is saying right here in James chapter 4 is that that question is monumental in our lives. That if we don't consider what God wants for our life, then we're actually going to miss so much of the way that God works in our life. James's words here are really strong. I mean, if you notice what he said at the end of verse 16, he says that, that when you don't include God in your decisions, you're boasting in arrogance. And boasting in arrogance is, James says, evil. That's pretty strong. I would say that if we went around the room and asked, How do you make decisions? you do not in any way think that your decision making process is evil. We make 35,000 decisions a day. We make decisions based on our normal routines and based on logic and based on what makes sense. We don't think that's evil. But what James is really getting at is saying if you are removing God from the equation, then you are effectively living like God doesn't matter for your life. You might say, I believe in God, and God, I want you to be a part of my life. But if you aren't including God in that decision, then you're not practicing what you preach. And so James is trying to step on our toes and draw us into this concept that when we pursue God, when we pursue making decisions in life without God, what we're doing is we're falling into the sin of presumption. Now, you might say, what's the sin of presumption? What does that mean? Well, I really like Vance Pittman's definition. Notice what he says. Talking about the sin of presumption here. He said, the sin of presumption is making life's choices apart from seeking and submitting to the will of God. Now, 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 notice... Notice that definition. It's talking about the the choices in life, not the mundane, regular choices, but we're talking about the major choices that impact the landscape of your life and the landscape of your finances and the landscape of your family. And when you make those choices without seeking and submitting to the will of God, James says it's evil, that it's sinful. James says that when we do it, we're missing the mark of one of the main ways God works through our life. When I think about this this idea of making decisions, and and honestly, this week as I was preparing this message for you, God was really beating me up because I, I look back at my life and I think, nearly every decision I made in life that led to heartburn or heartache or pain or broken relationships came because I rushed a decision without waiting on God. Anybody else been there? You, you go forward and you get out in front of God on a decision because you think it's right, it feels right, it looks right, it all makes sense. And then you look back on it days, weeks, months, years later and say, I missed it. And typically it's because we got out in front of God on a decision. And so James is stirring us up here and he wants us to see that we need to make life's decisions based on God's will for us. Not just our own and not just what feels good or not just what makes sense. And so James is, is really calling us to this idea of making decisions based on God's word and who God is. And he says when we don't do it, we're living contrary to the way Jesus lived. Notice what James says again. Notice why. He says in verse 14, he says this. He says that you make these decisions without God, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life, James says, for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. What James is saying is that making decisions apart from God is dangerous. And the first reason it's dangerous is because our perception is limited. James says we do not have the full boat of information to make decisions apart from God. That we just see a small sliver of the big picture. Notice how he says it there. He says, you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. He says, what is your life? Now, if you're anything like me, you're a planner in life. Any planners out there? Got any planners here? Got sticky notes all over the place? Got your calendar so full you can't even find any room to breathe? But there's nothing wrong with planning. I love it. It's the way I'm wired. Many of you are wired the same way. And because of that, we are always looking forward we're always looking forward to that next thing, right? Going to that conference next year. I'm going to take my family to Disney when Chloe's six. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I can't wait for the next building project here at the church. I'm always thinking down the road. The problem that James says, though, if we're only seeking down, looking down the road, then we're going to miss what God is doing today. So there's nothing wrong with having this five, ten, or twenty-year plan. There's nothing wrong with, with planning for the future. That's being a good steward. But the problem is, are we missing what God is doing in our life today? So James has given us the sobering reminder that we don't know what tomorrow holds. That we don't know what's going to happen actually beyond this moment that we're experiencing right now. And James, notice what he says in verse 14. He, he says that, that we are a mist. Psalm 39 says that we are a breath. Or, or Solomon calls life a vapor. In the book of Proverbs. I like how King David says it in Psalm 102 verse 11. David says this, my days are like an evening shadow. Now it's scary to think of it like that. Because when we think about life, we think about, we were just kind of standing firm thinking that we've got all the time in the world to make those decisions. We have all the time in the world to to live out those dreams. But I think if you talk to anyone in your family, and if you're here today and you're in your 70s, 80s, or 90s, you might say the great lesson of life is that life goes by too fast. Last month I had a chance to go visit my grandpa before God called him home. And I had a chance to actually interview him. And I pulled out my phone and my dad and I interviewed him for about an hour and a half and just heard stories of his life. And it was so beautiful. And, and I, I haven't been strong enough to listen to it yet, but I'm going to. It's going to be really good. But one of the things he kept saying was just how fast life went by. 92 years. Beautiful, rich life, but still gone by in a snap of a finger. So James is trying to let us know that we don't know what tomorrow holds. And if we're blessed enough to live 92 years, it's still going to not seem like long enough. So we need to realize that we have to pay attention to this moment right now. And that we can't afford to make decisions without God's help and direction and guidance. So James says life is short, but not only is life short, life is also uncertain. He says, you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. He says, what is your life? A few years ago, I was driving down the highway, and it was raining, and I was heading to a meeting, and um, I was, you know, you're told never to put the car in cruise control in the rain, Right? Well, I didn't get that memo. So I'm driving. I got the car in cruise control, and I hit a little slick spot around a curve, and I hydroplaned. I'm going about 65 around this curve, and all of a sudden, I'm just busting 360s right on the highway. I do two full 360s and slide into the median, and then it was this amazing Jeff Gordon move. You guys have been proud of me. I was able to get it right back in and straighten it out and came right back on the road. And I remember, instead of feeling really good about myself, I just was shocked. And so I pulled over on the side. And I just felt like that could have been it. Like I'm just thinking about this meeting, thinking about what I'm going to do this weekend, planning my next year's vacation, and that could have been it. Life is uncertain. We don't know what tomorrow holds. James says, and it's true. And I look at the story of what happened in Miami these, last week, where the building just collapsed, and it's heartbreaking. And let's we be praying for that community and those families. And in that moment, people went from whatever they were doing, in an instant, life changed. Life is uncertain. And because our perspective is limited, we can't afford to make decisions that are short-sighted without God speaking into our life. And all of us, we just went through a global pandemic, and we're still in it. That tells you right there how quick things can change, how the landscape of your life can change, and your finances can change, and your career can change. So this is a reality for all of us. Life is short and life is uncertain. Our limit is perspective. We can only see so much. But God's view is full. Notice what Job says in Job 28, verse 24. He says this, talking about God. He says, for God looks to the ends of the earth and he sees everything under heaven. Nothing escapes God's view. God sees everything and that's why we need to use God's wisdom and to seek God's will when we make decisions because we're not going to see it all, but God can. Let me ask you this. If you look back at the course of your life and you see that the result of a lot of the heartburn and heartache in your life comes from the decisions that you've made because of your limited view, but you have access to God who sees everything under heaven, doesn't it make sense to seek his opinion before you make a decision? I think we could all say Yes. I like what Warren Wiersbe says about this. He's talking about this idea of life is short and life is uncertain. Notice what he says. Warren Wiersbe says this. He says, "Life is, since life is so brief, we cannot afford merely to spend our lives, and we certainly do not want to waste our lives. We must invest our lives in those things that are eternal. And the only way we invest in those things that are eternal is by seeking God's will when we make decisions. So James is saying that making decisions apart from God's guidance and wisdom and will is dangerous because our perspective is limited. But also, notice what he says next. He says this. He says, making decisions apart from God is dangerous because our hearts drift inwards. You guys know this is true. Our hearts drift inwards. Notice back at verse 13. Notice what's going on here. James is writing to the the first century church, a group of Christians who, who because of their faith, had to scatter and had to move away from home in many cases and move to new cities and start new jobs and do all these things and are relying on God for every moment. But yet something happened between the, the time that the church scattered because of persecution and the time James wrote this letter. And what happened was people got comfortable and their hearts started to drift inwards. And rather than saying, God, what is your will for my life, they said, here's what I want to do. Look back at verse 13. Notice what James says again in verse 13. He says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Now, James is writing to this group of first century Christians, and uh, many Bible scholars think that these are Christian merchants, who are saying that we're going to go and and this is how we're going to run our business. And James is saying you're being short-sighted if you think that you can just go make your decision without including God in that decision-making process. Now, James isn't saying, I want to be clear, James isn't saying there's anything wrong with planning. And James isn't saying there's anything wrong with making a profit. James is saying that they got off course because they stopped including God in what they were doing. Notice what they say, we, we, we. We're going to go to such and such city. We're going to go do such and such. We're going to make such and such a profit. And you don't see anything about the will of God limit right here at all. So James is showing us that our hearts tend to drift inward. And we know this is true in our own lives. My pastor back home in Missouri, Dave Cover, liked to talk about this. as looking at life horizontally. That when I look at life horizontally, I'm looking at life from the viewpoint of me. You think about seeing something in 2D. What what is 2D? You see something that, you see how tall it is and how long it is. We can't see the full picture. We need to begin to look vertically if we're going to see what God has for us in life. Because when we look at things in 2D, when we live life horizontally, the questions we ask is, what is it that I want? What is it that's going to make me happy? What is it that's going to make me fulfilled? What is it that's going to make me more comfortable and the reality is, guys, and, I, and, I, and I, I don't think we do this on purpose, but the reality is it's our default position. We do this without even thinking about it. We make decisions based on what I want without even giving it a second thought. Just think about for those of you that, that went to, went to, decided to go to college and, and, and pursue a pr- certain degree path. Who, who made that decision? You might have had a counselor, but it was you. You felt like this was the degree, degree path you wanted to go to. How about when you went into uh, the workforce after you graduated college? Now you're looking for your uh, career, looking for the right place, but when you went in, it was based on what you wanted to see, and there's nothing wrong with that. I tell my girls, Emma's nine, Hallie's almost eight, and I tell them all the time go. Pick a school that's going to be able to have a degree program where you're going to find a great job that you're going to love and feel secure and have a great career and at the same time make a good income so you can support your family. There's nothing wrong with those things, but when we make those decisions all on our own without using God as part of it, our heart is going to drift inward and it's going to continually be all about me. And when we don't include God in the equation at all, Then we fall into this trap where we start to live life in the future. Well, once I have enough money to buy that house, once I get my student loans paid off, once I find that right person and get married, once I have kids, then I'm going to be able to live my life, and then I'm going to be able to follow God, and then I'm going to be able to do the things that God calls us to do. But what's the problem with that? Is we're living on our own timetable and not God's. It's like when you're ready to start that diet plan, right, and you eat bad all week and you say, Monday's the day. I'm not eating carbs ever again. And then Monday comes, you go to Cafe Olay, you get the 20-ounce Dolce de leche latte that's 650 calories, and you're like, okay, next Monday. Next Monday it's going to start. We're always pushing out life, aren't we? We're always saying, once I get to this place, then I'm going to feel happy, and then I'm going to be the person God has called me to be. But Jesus tells us that that's being short-sighted, and Jesus tells us that when we do that, we completely miss it. One day, Jesus and his disciples were out, and uh, Luke writes down for us in Luke chapter 12 that Jesus is speaking to the crowd, and and there's a man in the crowd that says, teacher, tell my brother to divide his inheritance with me. And so Jesus tells this parable It's actually known as the parable of the rich fool, which I don't think you ever want to be in Scripture known as the rich fool, right? The parable of the rich fool. And Jesus tells a story about a man who was doing really well. And his harvests were were very full. And so he said, I need to build more barns. I'm going to tear down my barns, and then I'm going to build new barns, and I'm going to hold all my goods, and I'm going to make more money and more money. And then, notice what he says in verse 19. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. How many times have we done that? Man, when I get to retirement, I'm going to eat, drink, and relax and be merry. Wow, when my kids get to be in school and I'm not paying for daycare anymore, I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. Notice what Jesus says, though. He says, verse 20, but God said to him, fool... The night, this night, your soul is required of you. This is your last day on earth. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? All these things that you lived for, all these things that you tried to stack up, all these things are going to go to somebody else. You spent your whole life living for yourself, not asking what God wanted for you, and now you won't have anything to show for it. Verse 21 So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. See, Jesus says, when we live life horizontally, when when we're looking at our life and how it's going to impact me and my happiness, I live under the false pretense that I'm in control, that it's all about me. And when I do that, that's pride spilling out of me. And James says, that's evil, that's boastful, and that's sinful. So wake up and pay attention. The Greeks had a term for this. It's called hubris. You guys remember the story of Achilles? Achilles? Remember Homer in the Iliad? And Achilles' downfall was his pride, and he lost his life. How many of us have walked through tough situations because our downfall was our pride? Because we thought we knew best, and we thought we knew what we wanted, and we looked and lived life horizontally. The reality is when we lead God out of our decision-making, we find ourselves in a place where we look back with regret because we missed it. We thought we knew, but we didn't. And James is trying to get us to wake up so we stop making these mistakes. And James wants us to see how many times in life could we have avoided that heartburn or that heartache or that broken relationship by just asking God what God wants for us before we make that decision. And if we can trace back most of our painful situations to making decisions outside of God, shouldn't we want to do something about that in the future? And so... We maybe can't go back and fix those mistakes, but you know what we can do? We can avoid making them again. And so notice how James tells us to to think differently. How do we shift from seeing life horizontally to seeing life vertically? Well, look what James says in verse 15. He says, Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Such a tiny shift. Instead of saying, if it's my will, I'm literally saying, if it's God's will. So James is saying if the problem you have is you're presuming on God and you're not seeking and submitting to his will when you make decisions, then the alternative to that, the solution on that is simple. We need to seek and submit to the will of God. It just seems so simple, but yet it's maybe one of the hardest things we'll ever do. The solution to the problem is literally submitting to God and seeking his will for our Life. I like what uh, Solomon writes in Proverbs 16, verse 9. Notice what he says. He said, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes what? His steps. See, we plan our way, but God is the one that establishes our steps. God's the one who's in control. God's the one with the full view. God's the one that knows. And here's the cool part God loves you so much and has a wonderful plan for your life, but He's not going to force you into that plan. God's not gonna make you a robot. It's all about a relationship. And so, God has this plan for your life, and He wants you to step into this plan. But before we can step into this plan, we, we, we need to submit to who God is and God's will for our life. And this process of shifting from horizontal to vertical begins when I take the posture of a heart surrendered to the Word of God. There's this really powerful scene in Mark 14. If you know the story of the night Jesus was arrested, he goes and has, uh, the, the last, he has the Sabbath dinner, has the last supper with his disciples and he goes out to the garden to pray and he takes Peter, James and John with him and asks them to watch because he knows that the bad guys are gonna come arrest him soon and he goes into the garden and he prays. And there's this intense moment where Jesus is praying to God and he's actually revealing his humanity and his vulnerability and notice what Mark says in Mark verse. 14, verse 36. Jesus says this. He says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. I know what I'm getting ready to do. I know how hard this is going to be. Take it away from me. But notice what he says. Yet not what I will, but you will. Like the posture of Jesus was, I mean, in that moment, Jesus had called down a thousand angels. Jesus could have done something different. But he knew that God's will was that he would give his life for us so that you and I could have life. And that that needed to happen. And as hard as it was, God would give him the strength to do it. And Jesus went and did that for us. And what James is, is saying now, that, that we have to have the same posture of submitting to the will of God. See, God's will for us is not an option to be put into our decision-making or our pros and cons sheet. God's will is revealed to us as the direction for us to go. And that means we have to be willing to say, God, not what I want, but what you want. So, God, I really want this relationship, but you seem to be putting on the brakes for me. God, your will, not mine. God, I really want to change jobs. I really want to change careers. This new job seems lucrative, and it's going to help my family make more money and save money before retirement. But it seems like that's not your will for me. Okay, God, your will, not mine. And those are hard things to walk through, and those are hard decisions to make. But God's going to be with us every single step of the way. And so James's response to us is seen just a couple verses before in James 4.10. When James says this, if we're going to submit to God, if we're going to surrender our hearts to God, then we have to humble ourselves before God. And that means that we have to admit that we don't know what's best, that our view is limited. But you know who does know? God does. And so God, please sit in the first chair and give me direction and help me live the life that you have called me to be. And it's realizing, friends, that the fullest, richest, most deep life imaginable comes from trusting God and following his directions for our life. Amen? That is where life truly is found. So James says... That we need to say, if the Lord wills, we'll do this, and we'll do that. Lord willing. So first, James says we have to submit and surrender our hearts to God, but also there's a seeking here. Notice, he says that seeking, it's about the pursuit of Jesus. It's about putting our dependence on God. Because if God has a plan for your life, but you don't seek that plan, it's like trying to find a restaurant on the other side of town without using your GPS and just having a hunch that you think you know where it is. You're never going to get there. Jesus is trying to get us there. He's trying to take us to where we need to go. So how do we get there? Notice what Paul says. Romans 12, 2. He says this. Do not be conformed to this world. What does this world do? This world lives horizontally. Do not be conformed to this world. Rather, live vertically. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what? What the will of God is. And notice about the will of God. He says the will of God is good. That word good, good means best. It's acceptable and it's perfect. The word perfect means complete. And this means that God's will for your life is way better than yours is. That God's plan for your life is way bigger than your plan could ever be. But the only way we first get into God's will for a life is by getting into God's word for a life. Now Psalm 109 or Psalm 19, verse 105 says that, that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Romans 10:17 says that faith comes by hearing the word of God. So we'll never discern the will of God unless we're in this book. And I don't mean flipping back and forth and putting a finger on a verse. I mean nose in this book. But also, we'll never discern the will of God until our knees are on the ground. Because it's when and in those moments when we lack clarity that we have an invitation to seek intimacy with God. And it's intimacy that we find through prayer with God. With a bended knee, humbling ourselves before God, seeking His will for our life. I like what Henry Blackaby says. He says this If you do not have clear instructions from God in a matter, pray and wait. His timing is always right and best. You guys know the old phrase God is rarely early, but He's never late. And sometimes we might be prayerfully wrestling with a decision, seeking God's will, and we like, God, you're not answering me. God, where are you? And God's saying, wait, just wait. I've got something more for you. I've got another lesson for you to learn. There's something on the other side of what's happening today that you just aren't aware of yet. So maybe you're here today and you've got a big life decision to make. Maybe you're here today and you have a decision to make that's going to change the landscape of your family, the landscape of your finances, the landscape of your future, And you're seeking God in that decision. How do you know? How do you know when you've heard from God? How do you know when you've found God's will? I've got three three quick takeaways and then we're going to close on ways that we can know. And there's no order to this. But as we're seeking God in his word, as we're seeking God in intimacy with prayer, as we're surrounded by the people that God has put in our lives, and we're looking at the doors that are opening around us. How do we know when we have a word from God? How do we know when God is giving us and showing us his will? I think these three things in no certain order. And the first one is this, that God speaks to me through his word. That through my regular rhythms in the word, that through my regular time pursuing God in his word, that God speaks to me through his word. That God reveals something, the Holy Spirit stirs something up in my heart and shows me where I should go. Also, in conjunction with this, is this, the the counsel of people close to me and the circumstances around me coincide with what I'm reading in God's word. That I'm opening God's word and God's saying this to me and then you're saying this to me too. And the circumstances around me are saying this to me too. And it's all coming together. I'm seeing God's will. But but finally, third, and this is is the subjective piece. I have a sense of peace in my spirit. How many of you guys have ever been faced with making a decision and you just got that check on your heart? You say, I want to do this so bad. I want to take that leap so bad. But there's something inside of me that's just saying no. And how many of you did it anyways and went back to regret it? I think we could all say we've done it. The reality is the Holy Spirit gives us a check in our spirit. And so how do you know when God's spoken to you, that God has revealed his will to you, that God has given you an answer? Well, you see it in his word. It's confirmed in the people around you and the circumstances. But you also have a a, a sense of peace in your spirit. So what decisions do you have to make right now? What big decision do you have in front of you? Because what God is calling you to do is to seek him in that decision, and to wait on his timing, no matter how long that will take. I'm going to invite the band back to the stage, but I want to spend a couple moments just preparing, uh, preparing our hearts for this seeking and submitting to God. And I think one of the, 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 the most beautiful pieces of Scripture where Jesus shows us how to submit and to seek God's will is in the Lord's Prayer. And so I want to lead us in the Lord's Prayer as we close our time here this morning. In Matthew 6, Jesus, his disciples had asked him, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And so Jesus teaches us the Lord's Prayer. And in the Lord's Prayer, we have a format, we have a pattern for how we can submit to God's will and we can seek. And by submitting to God's will, by by saying, God, our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. We're putting him first. We're putting him in the first chair. But by saying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is heaven, we're saying, God, I want your will for my life. So give me my daily bread. Give me what I need for today and for tomorrow. And lead me to a place where I can be the person you've called me to be and follow your will for my life. So as the band begins to play and leads us towards our next song, I want to just close for a moment. Let's close our eyes and let's bow our heads. And I'm going to pray this over us. And if you're in a moment right now where you have a big decision to make, let these words be yours. Let your heart hang on these words. And ask God, God, I want to submit to your word. And I want to seek your will for my life in whatever decision you have for me. And the beautiful part, forefront, is that God... It's faithful, and every single time, he'll do it. But it's on his timing, and not ours. Let's pray together. Feel free to recite these words with me if you know them. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us of our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, we thank you for the words of James. We thank you for James's challenge to our heart. That when we follow our own way, that when we follow our own path, when we live life horizontally, we miss one of the main ways you work in our lives, in our life. We miss one of the main ways that you move in our hearts. And help us to see, Lord, that when we make decisions without you, Lord, we're missing the mark. Lord, as we look back on our lives and we see some of the wreckage that have been, has been left in, in the wake of, of bad decisions, it, because of decisions we made without you, Lord, help us to, to, to see, Lord, that we have an opportunity now to, to, to change course to make decisions in a way, Lord, that are going to honor you, that are going to seek your will and that are going to put us on the path towards where you want to take us. So Father, I pray, Lord, for anybody in this room today that is faced with just the decisions of life and, and maybe they're on the cusp right now of making a decision and they're just, they feel that check in their spirit but they are, are almost ready to go. Lord, help us to see that you have so much more for us and that when we wait for your timing everything will be right and pure and true. Father, I pray for anybody in this room today or tuning in online who has never made the decision to put Jesus in the first chair of their life. That this morning they take the moment to humble themselves before you to say, Lord Jesus Christ, you are the Son of God and you came down out of heaven and lived a sinless life for me and you traded places with me on the cross so that I can have life. But because of that, I don't have to live horizontally anymore. I can now live vertically and become the person you've called me to be. Lord, move in our hearts so we can become the people you have created us to be and to live with our eyes on you. So, Father, we thank you for this time. And it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.